This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Stu does America. StuDoesMerch.com. Use the promo code STU10 to save 10%. The best conservative merch. Again, it's StuDoesMerch.com. If you're watching on YouTube, like the video right now. Subscribe to the channel. Hit the bell for notifications. Do all the things. James Polis is going to be here to talk about spirituality in a digital age. Pat Gray will be here in person to prove that he's still alive. Mm -hmm. But we start by doing climate doomism. Maybe Pat shouldn't want to be alive after all of this climate doom that we're seeing. A new study out uh, says climate disaster coverage can perpetuate false narratives. This is from Axios. And you might think to yourself, oh, false narratives. That's probably true, right? They're saying everything's all horrible all the time and things are better than they've ever been in so many different measures of public health and disaster uh, deaths and all these things. Of course, they're painting a really negative picture that's not really there, right? Is that what Axios is saying? Oh, no, no. Oh, no, no, you silly goose. Of course not. That's not what they're saying. They're saying that presenting people of color as victims and white people as rescuers in U.S. news coverage of climate disasters has long been a problematic trend. Um, Apparently, uh, in uh, some of these uh, photos, uh, in 106 photographs they studied. Now, this is a study. They looked at 106 photographs. 106 photographs, 63 included images of people in flood water. 33 were in shelters, but 57 showed a strong masculine hero. A lie! Because there's no such thing as, of course, you know. People of color were apparently depicted as, quote, displaced migrants and women as damsels in distress, while white men were represented as saviors and caretakers. This is the sort of stuff they're looking at. They're not actually looking at solving. You know, there's derailed trains apparently all over the place blowing up. But let's make sure we focus on the news coverage of hurricanes. Uh, we also get this uh, also from Axios, who's doing a heck of a job on the climate front right now. Something called Black Girl Environmentalist. She's rejecting climate doomism. Seems like a lovely, uh, lovely lady. But they go into her beliefs here. Climate doomism, fatalistic messaging that nothing can be done to reverse climate change on a global scale is easy to find on outlets like TikTok, where the baseless argument has gone viral in recent years. Is it baseless? I mean, look, I'm with you here. I don't think that we're all going to die from climate doom. But like the media has been telling me we're past the point of no return constantly for my entire life. Whether it was global cooling or global warming or climate change or global weirding or weather weirding, they're always telling me we're past the point of no return. They're constantly depressing children into suicide because they think they're going to die because the, the temperature went up by a degree or the, you know, there's two more inches of sea level rise over a decade. And I'm the one that's getting this wrong. Is it baseless now? That we can, do, we, we can do something about climate change? How many times have you heard AOC say, if we don't do something right this second, we are, the whole world's going to, to be lit on fire. 
Organizations like Black Girl Environmentalist are challenging this misinformation that feeds the argument, which they say can lead to a loss of power for the communities bearing the brunt of climate impact. So this is the thing. Like they, they, they spent years trying to scare you and tell you that everything in the climate was going to, to turn your life into hell and there's nothing you can do to reverse it because we've screwed up for so long. And now they're like, crap, we overplayed our hands here. Now everyone is just giving up because we keep telling them there's nothing they can do. Now they're trying to reverse this, of course. In 2021, Wanjiko uh, Wawa Gothero founded Black Girl Environmentalist, or as you probably know it, BGE, which seeks to empower black girls, women, and non-binary peoples in climate action by facilitating increased representation within the environmental disciplines. We want people to know that being in climate doesn't have to be all doom. Now, of course, if you're going to have a movement, you need to have something that you can actually do in the movement. So saying that everything is lost and climate doom is here is probably a a pretty smart move here. But if you notice how, like, on the left, you get these storylines, you know, we you know, the transgender thing has been a big one uh, lately. Um, Maybe it's, uh, you know, some of the uh, CRT type stuff. And they can't keep these narratives separate. They want to talk to you about the climate, but they have to work in non-binary throughout the entire thing. On the Black Girl Environmentalist website, Black Girl Environmentalist is a supportive community dedicated to empowering black girls, women, and non-binary people across environmental disciplines. Our goal is to create an inclusive, representative climate movement truly made of the image of all of us. And that's been the problem. Uh, Apparently, not enough binary, non-binary people, too many binary people. If you're a binary person, screw off. I don't care if you die from climate change, but we're very worried about non-binary people. Uh, It's fascinating to see all of these narratives intersect. It's like there's a bunch of cars going to the intersection and they just keep crashing into each other. Um, The site goes on to say it's not too late and the concept of giving up is a privileged one. See, it's not... It's not because it's what they, you know, they've been lying to us for a couple decades saying we're too far past gone. No, that's just white privilege apparently talking, especially for so many already uh, experiencing the brunt of the issue. Uh, she goes on to say, I've unfortunately come across many of uh, in these spaces a lack of prioritizing black voices and particularly black girls, black women and black non-binary environmentalists. You know, that's been my big complaint. How long? I've been talking about this for years. Why are there not more black non-binary environmentalists? I have a shirt that just says, why are there not more black non-binary environmentalists? I have a bumper sticker on my car. If you're ever driving down a car and you see a car and that car has a sticker that says, why aren't there more black non-binary environmentalists? You know that's me. I'm with you on this one. Uh, She goes on to say the disproportionate burden of climate change on uh, on communities of color and the lack of protection of over-policing, again, another narrative has come into the intersection, of those same neighborhoods are connected through a legacy of systemic racism, another, another, and environmental justice, and another car crashes in the intersection. If I'm talking about prison abolition, if I'm talking about Black Lives Matter, or another black person being slain by police, that is an environmental issue. I I have to admit, I did not know that was in any way related to climate change. But I guess people get warm. They get upset. Bad things happen. The same communities that are over-policed in this country are the same ones that have the least amount of trees. That is a quote. So apparently, all the liberal narratives have all coalesced into one big intersection. And everyone's just kind of bumping it. It's like uh, demolition derby. Everyone's just bumping into each other. And they're all trying to fit all their talking points into every single argument they make. 
We are in an era of insanity, and that insanity keeps rolling and rolling and rolling. So how do you grow your money for retirement? It's not always an easy thing to do. We've kind of been brainwashed into believing the only way you can do it is to risk it in the stock market or um, just sports betting. I wouldn't recommend necessarily the sports betting one. The stock market can be part of your portfolio, perhaps, but that's not the only way you can do this. You can reach your financial goals and dreams without taking any of the unnecessary risks. Bank on yourself is a better way to grow and protect your hard-earned money. This retirement plan alternative has never had a losing year in over 160 years. How's that for a record for you? They provide guaranteed, predictable growth and retirement income with no luck, skill, or guesswork required. Your plan doesn't go backward when the market tumble. You get the growth, but you don't get the downside. That's kind of cool, right? This is a tax-free retirement income. You're in control of it. You can get access to it. It's not like you have to go to a bank and be like, can you please loan me my own money for this? No, you have access to it when you need to without the government penalties or restrictions on how much you can take or when you can take it. You can get a free report on all the details on how the bank on yourself strategy adds guarantees, predictable Stability and control to your financial plan. Go to bankonyourself.com slash stew, bankonyourself.com slash stew. Get your retirement under control with bankonyourself.com slash stew. Happy to welcome James Polis to the program. He's the editor for The American Mind and the founder of Return.Life, author of Human Forever, The Digital Politics of spiritual war. James, thanks so much for coming on the program. Hey, Stu, how are you? Yeah, really good. I, 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 had, I was mentioning this as we were just coming on the air. I had the return in my hand up, uh, upstairs earlier today. It's a beautiful publication. I mean, it, it feels, you know, it's something like from a, a bygone era. Like it's just really nice and it's, it's you know, beautiful to look at. It's, it's nice to feel in your hands. I mean, what made you do this? This is going against where everything else seems to be going, which is all online and having no physical value. Well, the past is back and it's very pissed off. So, you know, <laughs> you got you to gotta catch up. Uh, yeah, Return is, uh, you know, where, where tech aligns, as we like to say. It's sort of, uh, you know, we got a website, return.life, and then we got the print product mm-hmm. uh, that is, uh, you know, it's pretty thick. It's about uh, 150 pages, uh, full color, full bleed, uh, nice yeah. creamy paper, um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, something that won't go stale uh, before you're done reading it. So uh, there's, I think, a huge lane right now for, uh, you know, for, for uh, tech coverage. Uh, that is pro-human and pro-America and, uh, you know, understands the spiritual stakes uh, that, that are in play uh, as we uh, experience this kind of global digital conflict. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're proud of the response that we're getting and we look forward to delivering a lot more. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a really cool idea. I feel like we are in that point in history where there's been a lot of things that are fleeting, right? Like we get a lot of stuff that really just satisfies you for seconds at a time and then you're looking for that next hit of dopamine or whatever it is. Like we need that, we need that stuff that's gonna last for a while, that's gonna to, to make people think about things more deeply because the pace of change right now uh, indicates a real need for that type of change. And I, I don't feel like right now we're not even contemplating these big questions. Well, it's, it's tough. I mean, you know, these are questions that uh, human beings um, are tempted to try to run away from in whatever mm. way that they can. Uh, you know, people forget that it wasn't that long ago when, you know, the boob tube was the problem. <laughs> yeah. You'd sit down and just sort of like hit that remote and, and trance out. Um, and now we've created, you know, much, much more powerful and much more rapid ways 
of uh, distracting ourselves from these ultimate questions. Uh, the irony is, uh, these very technologies that we're building, you know, until about uh, whenever the iPhone came out 15 years ago, um, for all of human history, the only kinds of entities that were understood to be able to do what these things can do, you know, invisible and innumerable and instantaneously mm. uh, communicating, um, were, were spiritual entities, angels and demons. And now yeah. we've built these things that invisibly surround us, pass through us. Um, it's crazy. And so the, it's become so immense and so inescapable. Uh, that it starts making ordinary people and even some extraordinary people go like, gosh, well, what's the point of being a human being? You know, why should I have a job? Why should I uh, get married? Why should I have children? Why should I leave the house? Why should I leave my bed? Um, and when you're faced with those kinds of, of deep questions, those ultimate questions, those are theological questions. And throughout mm -hmm. human history, they've had theological answers. And so, you know, there's, there's no escape. Uh, from that kind of religious reckoning about, you know, who are we, why are we who we are, uh, and what should we do about it. So, uh, you know, once, once you kind of realize that uh, so much of what passes for activity today is really just kind of a scramble to escape those questions, uh, you'll realize that they're inescapable. Uh, so we'd better get on with trying to answer them, right? Yeah, because I think it is really, really important to answer them, because I think th there is this this thing that happens when a new technology comes out, where people say, well, that could go down a dark road, we should stop that. And it never works, right? Like we never, it never, we never stop using that thing. You know, like, I, you know, my, like I've used the, the, um, the meta quest, the, the virtual reality thing. And it's like, you look at that and it's like, you look at these landscapes and you could look around and it's better than any like vacation you could go on. Like you're in these perfect places. There's no effort. There's no cost. And while I don't actually think it's better, for a lot of people, it's going to present a reality that is better when it comes to AI and, and, and talking about uh, relationships. You know, the chat bot bots are flirting with people now. They're going, there's going to be a certain percentage of the population that's just going to say, you know what, my life sucks. And I'm going to see this as an opportunity to make it better in easy, cheap form. And I'm going to go for it. And I'm just going to escape the human experience entirely. Well, if only you, know, if only you could escape entirely, mm. uh, then maybe it would be a different conversation. But the reality is there is no escape. <laughs> uh, there's only the illusion of escape. Yeah. And we've been, using, uh, we've been using our imaginations. We've been using our calculating minds. Uh, to try to escape uh, from the beginning, uh, to try to create, you know, this is a secret universe where I can do whatever I want, yeah. or at least I can feel like it, uh, and then inevitably the high wears off, or you know, the 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 computer crashes, or whatever it is, um, and once again you're brought face to face with the reality of, of who you are and and how you wound up there. Um, people don't like having to accept their responsibilities. Um, people don't like having to. Uh, to resist um, sensory overload, you know, and yet we build these things that are designed to overload our senses. You know, you want to know what, what the soy face is that you see <laughs> everywhere on the internet. It's the, it's the face of someone who's, who's being completely, you know, saturated, almost gang raped by information, you know, uh, and yet no matter, even though we've managed to, to crank that all the way to 11, break the knobs off, somehow it's still not enough. Somehow you're yeah. still, you know, you still know um, that, uh, that there's one reality um, and that you didn't create it uh, and you can run from that, but you can't hide. So how much of this, I, I was, you know, I was listening to uh, the political rhetoric going on these days about, you know, how um, back in the day, 
you know, parents, they had these they, they grew up and they got out of college and they had a house and they lived these wonderful lives. And and now the kids of today, they're they're just they of course, their you know, description of themselves is that they live the toughest life in the world. And and, you know, the older people screwed it all up for them and they, they have to live at home with mommy until they're 28 years old, 29 years old, whatever it is. And as I was listening to that sort of rhetoric, I randomly happened to listen to Allentown by, by Billy Joel. And like you listen to Allentown and it's the same sort of complaints. You know, all oh, our dads used to go to the shore every weekend and they won the Second World War. And now here we are and the unions have all left town. It was the same crap, the same type of complaints. Is there a is there an optimism in like the, the fact that all the doomscape type of stuff about tech Every new innovation has given us some level of that. Should we be freaking out or is this just overblown? It seems such a waste of time if that's what it's all about. Mm. Mama, if that's moving up, then I'm moving out. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing has changed. Billy Joel lyric contest. That's we just right. started it. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, uh, I'm dating myself here. Uh, not, not as a sexual identity, but as <laughs> right. making myself look, look my age. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, the, the, the remarkable thing about, um, you know, just like the teachings of the ancient church, to grab a not-so-random example, mm. is uh, from that standpoint, um, the, the quest to perfectly dissolve into uh, a parallel universe of our senses and our passions, uh, to disappear into uh, a fantasy land of our, our wants and, and feelings and pleasures. Uh, that's not new. That's not shockingly novel. And we see all these uh, shocking new technologies. Oh, it's going to change everything. Well, no, it's not going to change the human condition. It's not going to change the human predicament. It raises the stakes. It increases the consequences of of trying to to conduct this escape that can never happen. Um, And it can ratchet ratchet up the amount of punishment, the amount of suffering. Yes, uh, but it's really not all that shocking and new when you think about it. And it's that kind of perspective that I think gives people the opportunity to remember that actually, yes, like we used to be very confident as Americans in our relationship with our technologies. We were not afraid to roll up our sleeves and get our hands dirty, put our hands on our stuff yeah. and have competence and have a spiritual authority over our tools. And in fact, that's the only way that we can establish, reestablish our authority over our tools, which are now so powerful, is <clears throat> we have a spiritual character. We have a spiritual identity. They do not. We are alive. They are not. Um, and, uh, and so when you look around the world at what all, all the you know, powerful countries are doing to try to, to restore digital sovereignty... That's what they're doing. The Chinese are going to Taoism and the Russians are going to Russian Orthodoxy. And, you know, the Vatican is very excited about trying to use its authority to tell Europe how to, you know, well, if they can't invent these things, at least they can regulate them. And here in the, you know, whether it's in the UK or here in the US, uh, the, you know, ground zero of this, whether you want to call it a cold civil war or whatever, a couple different terms flying around. Um, that's what it's over. You know, it's what spiritual authority is going to define our regime and use that authority to um, ensure that technology is is uh, mastered in a certain way. So for ordinary Americans who aren't very excited about the idea of like, well, you know, uh, people who think there are an infinite number of genders and you can't vote them in, you can't vote them out. They're going to create a new religion. And that's how we're going to control technology. If you don't like that, well, there's good news. I mean, take Bitcoin for an example. Mm-hmm. 
it's had its ups and downs. Doesn't really matter, you know, what the what the dollar value is. That's not the power of the technology. And this is a technology that's that's fully developed right now. I published a book on bit uh, on Bitcoin for sale in Bitcoin, written on chain, totally circumvented all of the you know publishing industry, financial industry. You don't need it. You could put your hands on that technology right now. Create and sell and exchange and share goods and services that strengthen our form of government, that strengthen our way of life, that strengthen our humanity. This is just one example of how you don't need to be an expert, you don't need to be a blue check, you don't need to you know, be credentialed or uh, get your sort of woke stamp of approval. You can just be a regular American willing to take a small step in a direction that's, that feels new um, to restore that kind of authority, manual authority, manual competence, and spiritual authority over your technology so that we can be generative with it instead of replacing ourselves or trying to you know, beam us up into a, some metaverse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that one of the things that's so exciting about you know, Bitcoin as an example is it sucks you out of this world where all of these outside forces can have so much influence on your on your day-to-day life, right? Like Bitcoin really does, it's it's running parallel to everything else, you know? Um, you know, we've been, and, and I think it's frustrating the coverage that you see of it now where you know, we've been talking about Bitcoin for years and years and years and years. I'm certainly not as, as much of an expert as, as, as you are, but like these ups and downs have happened. The first time I bought Bitcoin, I remember within, I don't know, three weeks, it was down 70%. And that was like typical, but that was $600 to $200, and now look where it is. And the same people who told me that that bubble was a burst and the 2017 was a burst, bubble had burst, and the 2021 bubble has burst are telling me there's no future for this. This is over. Finally, we come to the end of these crazy people on the Internet talking about their fake, uh, you know, Internet coins. What is the future for crypto? Is, is there something where, where the, uh, you know, the American people and people around the globe are going to be able to find a consumer-facing product that they're going to really be able to utilize in this, in this realm? Well, I think they're there right now. I mean, I think, you know, you can use Bitcoin in this way. Uh, that's why the SEC doesn't like it. Yeah. Uh, you know, at first, uh, the, the, the coiners were like, oh, Gary Gensler, like, he's taught classes on Bitcoin. He's going to get it. Yeah. And, you know, oh, he got it all right. He understood exactly <laughs> what was at stake. Yeah, uh, and, yeah. uh, and so did the folks whose names we don't know who mm. are operating in that world. Uh, you know, look, I mean, the, the, the spiritual dimension to this is really... Uh, is really profound, and um, what what you have to understand is that technologically and socially, uh, money and information are converging into a single entity, and that is something that has tremendous power, uh, not just productive power, but power of control, power to to stop people uh, from uh, from freely associating. Uh, and from working together and investing their spirit, their life force, their soul into what it is that they generate. Things uh, that, that lift up their community, lift up their spirits, um, and make them uh, not slaves of their technologies, not slaves of their government, not slaves of their senses, trying to disappear into some crazy sensorium, uh, not slaves of their passions. You know, in America, it's supposed to be like, follow your passion. But, you know, I mean, you, you see what happens. You see, like, what, how terrible this... Terrible advice. This, yes, it's terrible <laughs> advice. Uh, you know, you are not who, what you want. Hmm. And in a society where you're taught that, like, well, you know, it's it's okay to be whatever gender you can imagine because you are what you want, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, technology then becomes like a tool that, well, you know, if I can't dream my way into uh, into being what I want, uh, if if the era of John Lennon and and uh, and Willy Wonka is over, you know, imagination ain't what it used to be. It's now all about the the memory of machines. Um, 
And if you can't, uh, you know, you can't use violence to get what you want, that's a no-no now. Um, well, you can use these tools, you know, you can, you can physically sort of change yourself into some kind of cyborg. Um, and that's kind of how you, uh, how you think about your, your purpose and your meaning and your identity in this world. Um, that is a radical break with everything that we have understood being an American to mean and being a human being to mean, to say nothing of being, you know, a, a child of God. Uh, so these are the stakes, and uh, and when you look at the use case for Bitcoin, yeah. uh, you know the use case isn't like, well, I, now I can buy, you know, my my uh, my my Happy Meal right. with um, <laughs> invisible money. Yeah. You know, uh, no, this is a matter of if you really want um, those fundamental elements of our lives together, our, our free association, our uh, our religious observance, um, our constitutional government. Uh, our human nature, if you want those things to survive into the digital age, you have to make sure that we take digital tools and bring them to heal and make them kneel before what we hold sacred. Mm, it's, it's, so it's, it's about mastery. Yeah. It's about who masters who. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, we've spent the last 15 years or so just with a giant experiment of like, what if we give up that mastery? What happens? Let's give it a whirl as a civilization. And it seems like the, that experiment's not working out all that well. No, it's not. And of course, you know, mastery now has a has a bad name. Like, oh, this is re reminiscent of slavery. So you must <laughs> yeah. strike it from I'm the codex. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, no, this is a mastery about like uh, the fullness of competence, you know, mm. like a real fluency and a real uh, a, a level of, of relationship, of, uh, of intimate understanding that arises not from, you know, not, not, not because you, you, you read it somewhere or mm. uh, it, it, was, it was handed down to you by, by a bureaucrat. You know, it's not following, checking the boxes. It's through your experience and it's through the way that you attune uh, your experience and you craft your experience by really being the master of your will, you know, so that your will isn't just sort of flopping around, chasing after one, one desire or seeking sensory overload. It's, it's been purified in a way, focused and disciplined. And when you focus and discipline the will and you reorient the will, uh, frankly, toward the heart and not toward trying to become an expert in, in whatever, mm -hmm. uh, then you can approach technology in a much different way. And your whole concept of what technology is and how it should work and how you perceive it and how you understand the risks and the rewards, how you understand how to uh, discern whether or not a certain use is going to redound to your benefit or whether it's going to undermine you, whether it's going to undermine your, your spiritual health or your, your physical health mm. um, or your life prospects. Uh, all that can change if you change what's going on in your will and in your heart first. Yeah, uh, it's, it's fantastic stuff. Uh, James Polis, uh, editor for the American Mind, founder of Return.Life and author of Human Forever, The Digital Politics of Spiritual War. Make sure you pick that up. James, thanks so much for uh, coming on the program. Anytime, Stu. Meghan Markle, the actress on Suits, uh, who eventually became a princess and now I don't think is anymore or something, but we still talk about her more than ever. She's very upset and overwhelmed by a portrayal on South Park. Uh, to give you a little, what, what, what could she possibly be upset about? What could South Park possibly say about someone? They're such nice guys. Uh, let me give you a taste of what happened. Damn it, now the princess playing polo on the lawn. We're here because privacy is a basic human right. How many more princes and his wives have to live in this nightmare? <laughs> hey, can you two f***ing keep it down? Hey, you ever heard of a thing called privacy? <laughs> yeah, nobody gives a Will you two just shut up and go away? 
apparently did not, uh, they didn't treat her very well. So Meghan Markle a little uh, upset at that one. Um, there's a new uh, climate-friendly fuel uh, that uh, is out, and it can really help you. And the only issue with it, you, know, you can save the climate, but you're, you're going to get cancer, too, for sure. I mean, it's definite cancer. You're going to have, like, more cancer. You're going to have more cancer in your body weight than actual you. You're going to be more cancer than human. But, hey, it's environmentally friendly. Uh, the, uh, the former head of the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences says the, ki- the kind of risk we're talking about with this fuel is obscene. 250,000 times greater than the level usually considered acceptable by the EPA. But it's climate friendly, so screw you. Climate is our god now. Who cares how much cancer you have? Just to let you know. And there's a sci-fi magazine that has uh, suspended submissions. Now, uh, this is one of those magazines. They they would take your cool story. Maybe you're working on at home and you had a great idea and you send it in. They might send you a few bucks if they use it. Well, what's happening is everyone's just getting chat GPT to write new stories. I mean, again, part of me admires this stuff. It's a great idea. You just send it, just flooding them with just nonsensical crap churned out by ChatGPT, hoping to get paid for it. And I think that's smart. I got to start doing more of that here, honestly. Why am, I, why am I thinking about these monologues? I did that one monologue that I had ChatGPT write a few weeks ago. I'm just going to start doing that all the time. I just constantly, just going to be like weird things where I tell you that I love you. Oddly in the middle, maybe I threaten your life, call you Hitler. That's, if that happens, it's, don't blame me. Blame chat GPT. I'm joined now by Pat Gray, host of Pat Gray Unleashed right here on Blaze TV, purveyor of Kexi Cookies at Kexi.com, the best cookies you will ever eat. Pat, how's it going? Oh, uh, well, thank you. Um, the reason I ask you that is because I thought you might say you were dead. <laughs> no, I am not. No, you're not. Those rumors are greatly exaggerated. Well, not greatly, but <laughs> slightly exaggerated. Just a little bit. I mean, <laughs> you missed a couple of days of, of work. I did, um, yeah. And it was, I, I got to say, actually, like, it's, as someone, maybe one of the few who care about your well-being, mm-hmm. it was scary. That was, like, legitimately uh, scary. Yeah. What yeah, happened? It, it was. Um it's strange because I went into the hospital for something complete. I mean, the worst pain I've ever had in my life. And it was brought on by kidney stones. And uh, so the first, the initial thing I thought was, okay, I'm just, you know, I felt like crap because I hurt so bad. But once they calmed that down, you know, with the morphine and yeah. whatever else, uh, they started doing all kinds of other tests because that's just what they do when yeah. you come into the emergency room. And... Uh, So I was feeling, I thought I was coming to work in the morning and a doctor came in and said, "Uh, you are a very, very sick man. And, you know, they had immediately admitted me to the intensive care unit and acted like, you know, I was at death's door. It's weird because I didn't feel like I was at death's door. Right. You know, I, I didn't feel like you would imagine you might be feeling if you're at death's door. Right. I mean, <laughs> so a lot of so pain weird. is one thing. Yeah, but. I had this serious, serious pain, but I've had that before, and I wasn't at death's door. Um, so when they found out that there was acute kidney in- injury, and then um, on top of that, the really bad diabetes that I didn't know about. So I'm just eating freely, and there's no insulin in my life at that point. And so uh, my glucose level shot up to 700 and that's I think not, 750. not good, it's right? It's a tad high yeah, yeah. when it What's should be normal? around 100. Okay. <laughs> All right. You try not to have things that are in the sevens when you need them in the ones. That's yeah. bad. 
And my ACI, which is the three-month average, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how they figure three months when they just took it just now, but um, that should be six. Mine was 13, mm -hmm. which okay. you might recognize Not, also mm -hmm. as more than double. Yep. <laughs> so it was really bad. Plus, I was um, severely dehydrated. I mean, a bunch of things all at once. And they, they said the words kidney failure. Yeah, complete, w almost complete kidney failure which you know to me just strikes me as like you're dead like if that yeah. happens you just are dead and yeah. yet here you are which here is I am. very good and the and the kidneys bounced back really well okay so i went from almost no function to almost normal function and they said it'll probably continue to heal um and it's hard to get your kidney function back depending on how it happened in the first place and I'm not exactly sure how I got the acute injury in the first place, but it also led to an infection there. And so the infection was really bad, plus the diabetes, plus the kidney stones, um, <laughs> plus the dehydration. <laughs> I mean, you're it a mess. Good. You're it was a mess, a good man. Time. Yeah, I'm a mess. You're a mess. Yeah, just a mess. Um, so what does this mean? Does it mean like medication? Do you have to do oh, like... Yeah. So it means uh, insulin injections four mm -hmm. times a day. Four times a day. That sounds like fun. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Four needles a day. Are they how... Like, because I've had needles before where like they're the really bad ones. They're short they, and skinny. The short... Is it the little pen? Is like a little yeah. pen type of situation? Those yeah. aren't too bad. They're not bad. And it, sometimes I barely feel it. Burns a little bit once in a while, but... Um, but not, not the worst. Those thing. are not a big deal. It's just the time and the effort and the change in lifestyle that you have to eat completely differently and all of that. It's a little bit so irritating. Can you walk me through the the eating changes? Because you know you are a guy who uh, enjoys his mm -hmm. food, mm -hmm. um, enjoys junky uh, food. Some junky food. Not we, so good for me. Food. We did a show uh, show together and we, and it, we did spoons every week where mm -hmm. we would try out crazy uh, junk foods and uh, you like them a lot. <laughs> I yeah, do. You know you you yeah. like sweets. Uh, yeah. You obviously. Uh, I don't are, like vegetables. You don't like vegetables. That's not a good combination. You're closely associated you're that. with a cookie company, <laughs> right? Yeah, so which I'll no longer be eating much of. That's, uh, I mean, that's that's hard. A big change. Yeah, it is. What do they tell you you have to do? Uh, well, I got to limit carbs to forty-five carbs per meal. So forty-five. That's not a lot at all. That's uh, not a lot. Like it what, goes. A an orange people. is thirty. Oh gosh. <laughs> so, so I've kind of lived for oranges and apples now instead of ice cream and candy or whatever. I remember um, we had uh, Penn Gillette on a while ago, and he wrote a book about his. He lost I know, over 100 pounds. Yeah, remember a that? Ton. And the, one of the ways he did it was for, like, I mean, you know, Penn Gillette, I, I think he'd even describe himself as an extremist. Like, yeah, oh, he yeah. does things and he goes all the way. Yeah. And the thing he did was he ate potatoes for, like, every meal for two months. Wow. As many potatoes as you want. But, like, think uh -huh. of how sick of potatoes you would be at the end of that. Unbelievably he, he sick. He said by the time he got to the place where he was adding in other foods, like, you know, a piece of celery would be incredible. Like, <laughs> a, a strawberry would blow his mind. I mean, you realize that, yeah. like, we are just so used to good food and, and so much bounty in this country that we don't even, we, we don't even contemplate how good these things actually yeah. are. They can be. And you know me, though. I, I didn't pay attention to any of that. Yeah. I didn't care. Um, I once remarked that I liked the fact in New York restaurants that they have to list the calories and, and fat content. Right. Because I would always choose, if there were similar things, I'd choose the one with more calories because it must have tasted better. <laughs> and that's, that's actually just, a really good tip. Yeah. It does it's work. It's a good rule of thumb and it does work. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I've had to completely change and rearrange. How hard has it been? That. I mean, it's only been it, like a week, right? It's uh, been yeah, going on two now. Yeah. But, yeah, it's been hard. 
Um, I'm starting to lose that, you know, really uh, bad craving that you think you have to have some kind of really decadent dessert every night. I'm, so I'm losing that a little bit now. It's getting easier just to deal with the oranges and mm. apples or a, a banana from time to time. That's incredible. Uh, so did you have any... Um I mean, again, you said you were near near death's door. You you mm-hmm. were like on the on the front porch <laughs> yeah. of death. Yes, <laughs> the front. I was knocking, but it, they didn't open the <laughs> they door. They didn't yet, open the door. Thankfully, yeah. you don't want them to open the no. door. Did you have any like big like life revelations? Did you have any moments where you're like, "Gosh, I want to do, I want to, I want to change this, or I want to, I want to do this in the future"? Anything like that hit you in in that moment? Mm. I think I decided I needed to watch more NFL football. <laughs> I, th- I think that's. <laughs> I think that's what really And it goes away almost immediately. Almost after this immediately. Yeah. I got to watch one stupid game yeah. after it. <laughs> yeah. So. And that was, I will agree with you, a stupid game. <laughs> a very stupid game. <laughs> that is something we haven't even game. talked about since you got back. It's torture, man. Uh, that had to hurt. I mean, it was worse than what you went through. Let's put it that way. <laughs> the, watching the Eagles yeah. lose was yeah. worse. When they had such a great chance, I mean, they had a really good opportunity. I suppose you whined and cried. At the call at the end of the game. I didn't really. I you mean, didn't, I, no, I mean, look, he, he. I didn't either, and everybody was so upset about it. He, he just himself he, admitted it. Yep, he himself admitted it. That, you know, the Eagles coach said it's a stand up guy, it. though. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you got to like, I liked him more after, Me after too. watching Betts Bradbury, James Bradbury, we're talking about on the holding call. And, like, I think the, the frustration with that call <laughs> in particular is. You hate to see a Super Bowl end like that. A great yeah. game yeah. where, like, they it basically destroyed the end of the game that would have been really exciting. Now, we don't know the Eagles may have may have scored, but they you know, might right. not they have may, as might well. Not have. They only had, what, a minute and a half or something? Yeah, a minute and a half. They would have to go the length of the field to get a, you know, they could have tied it they with a field it, goal. You right. may have overtime. But at least you would have had that drama at the end. And I think that's why, again, I think it was a 50-50 call in that that often doesn't get called. It was not a lot of contact. And you see after Bradbury holds him, you know, uh, Schuster takes – four or five steps before Mahomes even releases it. Mm-hmm. So, like, he, the mm-hmm. ball was so far overthrown, it didn't really impact yeah. the play all that much. So that part, it was frustrating, but honestly, like, you know, you're, you know, I was in the stands. I couldn't really tell at that point what, what happened. I, my, my frustration was more about how, um, uh, how the, um, uh, the Eagles put themselves in that position. Right? Yeah. Like, yes. y- y- you are up by two scores right. at halftime. Your defense can't come up with one stop, not one stop. Yeah, I really. They had their chances. That's that was frustrating, and you hate to see that. It's like it's so close, and it's like one of those things where you have a team that's young like this. You got a young quarterback who seems to be on the verge of superstardom, and you got Mm -hmm. a really good offense. Really, you could make a case he outplayed Mahomes. Oh, I think he did. Yeah, I mean, you know, you think about the two touchdowns, or at least two of the touchdowns that Mahomes threw. I mean, none of them were difficult throws. No, these guys were absolutely wide open. He was throwing bombs to people. Yeah, threw them open. Oh my gosh, yeah. He, he, he was incredible. That, that one, what, 45-yarder or whatever that he threw in the first half, uh, he threw that receiver open. Yeah. I mean, and I think arguably it was the best game of his career, which is saying pretty, quite a bit in a yeah. big spot to do that, which is also why it's really frustrating, right? You get the best game of your career. You get two playoff games that are almost the easiest path you could possibly have to get to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Your team plays really, really well. 
and you come out of that with a loss. And it's like it's easy to say, hey, they'll get back there. But, you know, Dan Marino said that, too. Right. And never, never and showed up in the game again. Did. So that's sort of terrifying. Yeah, I'm, I, I don't see yeah. this is you, you've set me off on a tangent. <laughs> now you've made me sad um, before we go uh, to talking about um, contests. I don't really want to think about the presidential election is coming up in 2024. Mm. We're already at the point where we have three candidates in on the Republican side. None of note on the Democratic side. And that includes Joe Biden. A story came out today or actually you know, it was uh, yesterday, maybe or the day before that said, uh, hey, uh, Joe Biden might not run. And there's a bunch of big wigs in the Democratic Party starting to plan for the fact that maybe he will not pull the trigger on this. Run. Interesting. Um, I mean, I don't know what their alternative is. The Washington Post maybe talked about this. The Washington Post had a story last week and listed their top 10 Democrat candidates for 2024. What a weak field that is. I mean, when it's you're number two guy, first, of course, was Biden. Number two was Pete Buttigieg. That's your second guy. <laughs> number three is Kamala Harris. Who What's has it? a what one and a half percent approval rating? I mean, she's <laughs> yes. nobody likes her. Not even Democrats. Uh, I don't even remember who was four. Uh, I think at that five point. was Gavin. Five Newsom. was Gavin Newsom. Four was Jared Polis, the uh, governor. Oh, of, right. of Colorado. Who yeah, nobody knows. I would who say he nobody's is. heard of him. Right. No, nobody's heard of he him. He has an in- a somewhat interesting profile of a potential VP, maybe, but like no one even knows who the guy is. No, right. You've, you know that bench is bad, and and you know Buttigieg, if let's say he didn't take this job as transportation secretary and he went on instead to, I don't know, work in the private sector and, you know, have a political action committee. Maybe mm-hmm. he, you could understand him being there. Maybe. His term as, as transportation secretary, which is not a job you advance to the presidency off of. Right. This term has been terrible. terrible. It's been filled with catastrophes. There's people, about, you know, there's people talking about uh, impeaching him. Yes. I have never heard of anybody mentioning Hey, you know who we need to impeach is the transportation <laughs> secretary. You got to be doing a really bad job for that to start swirling around in the atmosphere. That's hey, bad. You've been following this stuff for a long time. You have a really good memory of history, and maybe you've gone through this exercise. But I did this the, the other week. Can you name any other transportary, uh, transportation secretaries other than maybe Elaine Chow, who is the only reason we know her is because she was married to Mitch McConnell? Mm-hmm. Who, who else? <laughs> Can you think of anybody else that's ever had this job? Nah. <laughs> Probably not. Right. The only one I came, I eventually came up with was Ray LaHood. And okay. the only reason I remember him, and you might remember him as well, is because he was the guy during the um, Obama stimulus plan. He was yeah. out there a lot during that period arguing for you know, shovel-ready jobs. That was it. What was what was Rick Perry's job in? He the, was energy, wasn't he? The is it energy? energy? Okay, then yeah. I don't know any others. <laughs> it's incredible. I don't know a other one. The only one, the other one. I, I went through the whole list. The only other one anyone had ever heard of was Andy Card, who uh, the only reason we know him is because he became chief, chief of, of staff, staff and it was the guy whispering into Bush's ear on 9/11, telling right. him that this had happened. But he was previously transportation secretary. But no one knew him from that. <laughs> no. no, no one knows any of these people. Not at all. And, and he's your number two. That is, Incredible. it's an embarrassment and something. It's it's like their field is in the same field uh, like area as your kidneys. It's just they're just <laughs> yeah. not in good shape. Right. Not in good shape. Exactly. Uh, Pat Gray, Pat Gray Unleashed. Make sure to watch his show uh, every day. Um, and I will say, on, you know, it's on Blaze TV, of course, blazetv.com slash stew. Promo code is stew. And buy Kexi cookies because now, mm. I mean, there's probably, you were probably there's eating. There's going to be some extras. Yeah, a decent amount <laughs> of these things. And now they need to be sold to you. Yeah. So yeah. go to K-E-K-S-I, kexi.com and get the best cookies you're ever going to have. Pat, thanks Thank so much you. for coming on. Thank you. Okay, so here's what happened. 
a lot of people have the you know official state birds and state I don't know flags and rocks and I don't know whatever else they have. New Mexico is going to become the first state to have an official aroma, which is a very odd thing to do. They are saying it's something about hatch chilies burning in the, f- the fall or something. Green chilies roasting in the fall could be the new New Mexico scent. I think if they're going to go with an official scent, they should go with blue methamphetamine. I mean, everyone, that's the only thing anyone knows New Mexico for at this point is Breaking Bad. So just go with the blue methamphetamine. I think some other states should jump into this. Um, perhaps uh, the official scent of South Carolina could be women past their prime. Throwing that out there. Um, maybe in Vermont, old politicians and weed. That has a nice smell kind of together. Nevada, old G-strings and broken dreams. The scent of broken dreams as you go through Nevada is just absolutely wonderful. Uh, Delaware, I don't know. You could go with like m- the mummified remains of a guy who says he's president riding on Amtrak. Could be that. You could go with a Hunter Biden option, just like hookers and blow. You could go with that as well. Uh, and then uh, New Jersey, you know, maybe it's like Chris Christie sweating on a beach chair. That's the official scent. And that, I will say that's the one that really does smell like New Jersey. When you go there, you're like, is Chris Christie's sweating on a beach chair nearby? That's what the whole state smells like. It's wonderful, especially this time of year. Have a great weekend and stop thinking about Chris Christie sweating in a beach chair.